0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. I'm really excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about sex.
1: Yeah, we're going to tell you what the Catholic Church teaches about sex, what the Bible says about sex, what Our Lady of Fatima said more people go to hell for than any other reason, and a lot of other really interesting things. So let's get it on. (laughs) Did you have to look at me when you did that? (laughs)
0: Great to have you back for another episode. As always, we with Father Rich and Ryan Scheel, and I'm Ryan Delacross. Welcome back, hey guys. How are you?
2: So super excited about the show. But maybe just a, a word to the wise, you know, parents, if you're out there listening with the with the kids, this may not be the best episode for them because this may get a little explicit here or there. Right. Exactly. No, just no, to it's it's appropriate. Appropriate. not explicit. Not explicit. It's like
0: appropriateness but for yeah, age. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah
1: well, like well, my kids be are
0: sitting here. Yeah. 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 We're talking
1: about kids. what He said. <laughs> Kids when a man and a woman love each other very much.
2: <laughs> this is gonna be the straightforward birds and bees today. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. you know.
1: I never actually i I've heard that a million times. The birds and bees. Yeah, I don't. I've never actually heard the analogy played out.
0: I haven't either. And I, I just I, heard it as like a reference. Point, yeah, it's like oh, it's the know. birds and
1: the bees. Like, okay, okay well, like what do birds and bees do? I, I still to
2: this day I have no clue. Well, accordingly, we'll, we'll talk about that today the on birds the episode. Doing, <laughs> the bees doing. Even the fleas do it. You don't remember that song? That's a Louis Armstrong. That's a classic. Really? Yeah. Hmm.
1: I don't know. That's where it
2: comes from, I think. That had a parental
1: explicit language. I wasn't allowed (laughs) to listen to that song. (laughs) I
2: don't know. So they were even talking about it back then? So we've been warned. Um, Um, So you have been warned.
0: Obviously, the posterity of this beautiful gift that God's given us will be projected in this particular episode. <laughs> um, that was eloquent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, you know, ch- I have kids. Well, and chances so.
1: are everyone you've known was born because someone had sex. <laughs> the chances are really good. It's, it's like ninety nine point nine 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 percent right? So yeah. people have sex, obviously. Yeah. And the Catholic Church, um, I think a lot of times gets the perception that the Catholic Church is very... Um, Uptight about sex or puritanical. very puritanical or against sex and and guys and girls, it could not be more opposite. The Catholic mm-hmm. Church truly embraces sex and celebrates sex and elevates it to a level that I think no other institution and culture actually does. The Catholic Church teaches that sex is one is one of the most remarkable things that human beings can do and celebrates it in a way that no other, no one in Hollywood, none of the porn industry, they debase sex. The way the Catholic Church discusses sex is sex in its proper form and in its highest... Better
2: uh, than Barry White. Well, close. Barry White came close. Yes. But yeah, he he holds a dim candle to the theology of
0: the body. The other misconception is why am I getting from a priest who is not having sex? How is he able to tell me about it? Mm -hmm. And we'll probably end up speaking a little bit about that because of the beautiful words of... Pope John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II in Theology of the Body, for sure. sure. So, you know, just just as a preface to this episode... um
1: well, before we get into it, I think you should do a little bit and let everyone know where they can follow us.
2: Absolutely. So yeah, we wanted to make sure that you are connecting with us at www.catholictalkshow.com as well as all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and certainly a big shout out to all of our Patreons. Patreon.com forward slash the Catholic Talk Show is a way that you can help us grow the show and continue to sustain us into the future so we can talk about great topics just like the topic today. Let's talk about sex. Okay. Salt and pepper. Baby. <laughs> Let's again, talk about Again, I'm not wanna look again, at you. I'm again. not trying to look at you. We're just talking. Right, I'll put up my We're wall. talking. <laughs> put
0: up yeah. my wall. Safe <laughs> space. Talk safe space. Safe space. Okay.
1: Yeah. So anyway, the Catholic Church really always has been and always will be for the proper use of sex, and it celebrates it. Uh, The Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, number 2362, says something that I think would fly in the face of most people's perception of how the Catholic Church views sex. And that is, "...the acts in marriage by which the intimate and chaste union of the spouses takes place are noble and honorable." The truly human performance of these acts fosters the self-giving they signify and enriches the spouse in joy and gratitude. Sexuality is a a source of joy and pleasure. <laughs> soice? Soice?
2: What a kind soice of choice are we it, talking about? I think about? they That's misspelled a, it. They <laughs> did. Was it him? Oh, it was him. Yeah. they yeah. yeah. the website, dude.
1: The uh, the com. So I think, again, here there's a footnote that says that the Creator Himself established in the generative function, spouses should experience pleasure and enjoyment of the body and spirit. I mean, it's right there in the Catechism. The church wants you to enjoy sex and mm-hmm. have a lot of sex. And so, enjoy it, it actually says mm-hmm. you should. You yeah. should.
2: And it's, it's that aspect of unitive and procreative, like summarized in a beautiful form that expressively so, it is unitive, and that is something that is thoroughly pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just in statistics,
1: when people look at the statistics of uh, the sexual habits of Americans, they have found that surprisingly, well, not, not surprisingly to us, but I think yeah. maybe surprisingly to culture, that Catholics when they do these studies have more sex, they have better sex and the spouses enjoy it and say that it's a more pleasurable experience than any other group, whether they're atheists, Protestants, non-religious, um, whatever it is. And is a secular study. It's a secular study done by the National, National Health and Social Life Survey. Um, and they found that Catholics on average have more sex, more enjoyable sex, and that the um, members, the wife and the husband feel more love during sex than any other group. A so big, look, we know what we're
2: talking about. We know what we're doing here. And a big shout out goes to all the Irish Catholics from Boston, you know. Like they, I mean, they have a lot of kids. Lot I know a family. Kids. I knew a family that had like over 20 kids. Can you imagine?
0: Uh, I know you're uh. catching up. Uh-uh. No? I'm gonna be too <laughs> old to have 20 <laughs> kids at one point in time. I don't
1: know, man. Six look at Abraham.
0: Abraham had kids when he was like 800 years old. Yeah. Getting I don't think we're gonna go biblical here on the <laughs> Delacross family. Yeah, no, you're running out of steam. You're getting yeah. pretty old. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Man, so and I so as a, a good way to begin this conversation, I think that we should definitely look to what I think is maybe the most transformative and enlightening work on human sexuality, maybe ever produced, but certainly within the last hundred years. And
2: that's the theology of the body. Without a doubt. And St. John Paul II's ministry as a priest led him into that. Certainly when he was a college professor and working with young people that are getting married, I could imagine his marriage prep for those couples started to inspire his study. And his study continued mm-hmm. to reinforce what marital union looked like. That gave rise to his work, for example, in love and responsibility. <clears throat> and certainly his doctoral thesis on, in relationship to St. John of the Cross and love. And all of his comprised teachings leading up to his papal office and and his papal deposit of faith was certainly colored by that romantic love uh, in relationship to his marriage ministry. But then clearly, you know, the, the deposit of faith that came through the, the teachings that he did for a number of years, I think it was like from 70, it was like the late 70s when he was first in office to like 1984 or something like that. That's right. Where yeah, there's 129 129 lectures that he gave successively, and those were recorded and then documented and then went back into it and then kind of filled out a lot of material for the theology of the body as we now have it in in a composed form.
0: Yeah, and it it was, I mean, like, you know, he didn't every Wednesday just talk about sex. I mean, the theology of the body, this work that he put forth wasn't really all about sex. Mm -hmm. There were sexual aspects to it. That can be gleaned that we're gonna be talking about today, but there's a lot more it, in there. It's yeah, it's
1: not just sex, it's about human sexuality and it's about the unique character of man and woman, how sexuality affects them, how their body affects their, their spirituality, how the unit of function of sex affects sexuality. So, I mean, right. this was a complete. But there is
0: also like just the, the physical sign of the reality of God through mm-hmm. the creation and, of
2: body. And that's, so that's almost like that type of sense of back. sacrament, right? Right. So what does, what does the human body reveal about God's creative act? Right. So that, that's essential. And the way that John Paul II develops his teaching are from a ph- philosophical foundation, as well as this dense theological material that's contained within the theology of the body that also has sociological implications. How does this look like as man in community or person in community, which is another title of, of a great work of John Paul II, which certainly colors a lot of his material in the theology of the body?
1: Yeah, I think that John Paul, his 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 treatment of sexuality in the, in the theology of the body, it really... I can only imagine was meant to counter what our society has experienced since the sexual revolution. Bingo. And the sexual revolution radically, in in ways that had never before in humankind, altered sexuality in such a uh, fast pace, in such a dramatic Mm -hmm. way that I don't think that... um, People even know what to make of
2: sexuality anymore. So when you think of like what we were talking about in relationship to the church's teachings on human sexuality, what you describe beautifully in, in relationship to that unitive and procreative nature of this of this experience of human sexuality, that in and of itself reveals something more—the generative nature of creation itself and how that can produce something very powerful and new. Well, in the sexual revolution, it just takes human. Sexuality And it objectifies it. Mm -hmm. So, objectively speaking, it's just sexuality that is pleasurable. So, we know in in experience to what sex is in and Mm -hmm. of itself, you know, like outside of marriage or or pleasure house or whatever it is, that it's just sexual expression, pornography, whatever. It's it's just a moment of of pleasure that then is is gone. It it does not produce anything more, right? Right. And
1: it, it, it removes sexuality from its ultimate goal. Which is through unitive and procreative uh, function, Mm -hmm. and it turns it into just a base um, behavior without any of the ends. It it gets it; it becomes
0: objectively disordered. Mm -hmm. It's Mm a it's a more of a carnal satisfaction than anything that's rooted into a deep and profound relationship Mm -hmm. that has the potential of of you know building. You
2: know, creation. Because when you think of the intimacy of the sexual act, it's not just the body. It's not like, wow, this body is beautiful and objectively I want to commune with it for my own pleasure. No, there's there's aspects of psychological, intellectual, emotional, affective dimensions of the human person. Mm. And most importantly, the spiritual dimension of what happens in sexual intimacy. So when it's just left to the base level of what is sensual or that eros love, mm. the erotic love, what can be seen, smelled, heard, just the superficial components of that. Man, how there needs to be more. There needs to be more. And the transmission of this interaction, we can't cheapen the sexual act to just bodily carnal Mm -hmm. function that gives me a type of satisfaction in body.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I think that the the disordering of sexuality in our modern culture, I know Bishop Barron called uh, the sexual abuse scandal as the devil's masterstroke. But I think that even maybe even a deeper and more widespread um, scale is the confusion around human sexuality. And I think that that's the place that Satan has attacked us most ferociously because there's no other aspect of the human existence that is more like God than the act of having sex for a uh, procreative purpose. That's the only time that human beings can be like God and create life. And when you are attacking that fundamental, um, that that fundamental responsibility that God shares in His life-giving ability to His creations to be like Him to create life,
2: that is exactly where Satan would attack because that's where people are most like God. And that's what I love how, how you just express that—it's responsibility. It is a response. It's the ability to respond to the gift that God has given us for this function of the human person, for the sake of person and community, so that it is generative, that it is procreative, that it is unitive, and in that intimacy, that's what love is all about, you know. Mm. And that, and that's what Louis Armstrong was getting to with that with to that yeah. with that song, is too. It, it's the whole lyric was. You know, let's fall in love. It's it's the reality of what love truly is, and the human person as a Mago Dei reflects in that image and likeness of God. In that beautiful way, like you're describing, shield in the sexual act itself, the conjugal act. No, yeah, talk. I want to talk about sex for yeah, a little you bit. Talk about, just talk about it. I was saying, like,
0: with the uh, the output of all this stuff, right? So I don't know. You know, you kind of rely on the grace of God when you start a family and and all that, and it's difficult and. Um, you know, one of the things that I've recognized in prayer uh, with my family, and I, I have this uh, Rublev's um, Trinity. Uh, Trinity yeah. There is that our God is a is a is a community, right? Yes. Our God, our God communes. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, it is one God that communes with three people, and so there's this really powerful bond that actually creates them as one. Mm-hmm. That that I don't know if creates the right word, but actually manifests itself as one to us. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're in the image of God, right? I'm in the image of God. My wife's in the image of God. There's one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, there's these female attributes that reflect God, male attributes that reflect God. In our union, we create. The Father and the Son, through this you know, constant love for each other, through that, the Holy Spirit is, mm-hmm. is a part of that communion. Mm-hmm. And I look at my kids and I just think about that, the mm-hmm. love that's brought back to me as a father, you mm-hmm. know, as, as my, me and my wife, as a, as a couple of, as a married couple, you know, you look at that and you look at the creative function th- from our love that created mm-hmm. these children. And, and that's almost a unitive part of our reflection of our marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what our love has produced. Obviously there's a lot of families that can't do that, but it doesn't take away from the fact that this is in God's plan. A lot of people struggle with infertility. I know we know a lot of people that that have struggled that way, but that reflection of the the the, the community of God, this one God, three persons. Is there. It's present in a family. That
2: is so perfectly stated and it gives my mind a sense of uh, what St. Augustine was talking about in Dei Trinitate, you know, and this beautiful deposit of his ministry and teachings as it reflects the Trinity in the structures of nature itself and how God is revealing himself as Trinity and how the structures of the world operate Mm -hmm. and how interdependent we are. And it is like this procession of love. So the, the way I love to look at the Trinity is, you know, the father and the son. So the father loves the son from all eternity. And it's in this exchange of love that the son in reciprocity is giving himself back in the redemptive act to the father. And the personification of that love is the Holy Spirit. So when we love, we are participating in that same exchange of the Holy Spirit in the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. So whenever we choose to love, that we are then participating. And the choice of love between the spouses of a husband or wife, yeah, there's a challenge there, like you said. But there's also a responsibility and entering into that responsibility is entering into that exchange of the Trinity. And that is how community is generated. That is how personhood is generated fully alive.
1: Yeah. The divorce of responsibility and sexuality really did come about uh, with the with the pill Mm -hmm. and um, the church's response to artificial um, birth control and contraception uh, came from Pope, uh, St. Paul VI and Humanae Vitae and mm-hmm. Humanae Vitae, uh, I, I mean, that document alone would get any pope canonized. I mean, Talk that about was a, a prophecy. I mean, that was like
2: prophetic as get it. out. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, in, in Humanae
1: Vitae number 17, he, <laughs> makes a, he makes a couple predictions of what would happen, and this is in 1968, 69, mm-hmm. of what would happen with the logical societal impact of birth control on human sexuality.
0: And this was a
2: philosophical statement, not a theological statement. And before, as Ryan Shield prepares this, this quote, if you haven't read Humanae Vitae, Read it. It's worthwhile. It won't take you a long time. And trust me, you'll as you're reading it, you'll have that same experience and reaction that, that we're describing. Right. So he predicted in Humana Vitae
1: with the adoption of artificial contraception that there would be a massive increase in infidelity and general sexual moral decline. And I don't think there's anybody out there who could say that that has not come to pass. Mm-hmm. The divorce rates have skyrocketed since the late 60s and early 70s. Um, the amount of infidelity that happens in marriages has more than quadrupled. Um, the amount of, of uh, sexual abuse and, and um, uh, sexual assaults. And just general, um,
0: media, S- movies, media, movies, everything.
2: Pornography. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a recent right. phenomenon. I mean, mm-hmm. And I, I even think back guys in eighth grade, low no, seventh grade, I was in middle school and, you know, obviously this is, this is post-sexual revolution because I, w- I was born in 82, but I mean, I remember clearly I was learning how to have sex. I was learning how to put on a condom. I was learning about the pill. And I was learning about how this is what
0: people yeah. do. That's, that's this how is they, what they, you're they, supposed they, you're yeah.
2: supposed to do. So the the experience and the um, exposure to these sexual realities started to flood into my life in middle school, mm. and the curiosity then with all of my peers and how we were growing up. You started acting on that now. Yeah. So that was in the 80s and the 90s, right? right. Mm. It has radically enhanced in the, cho- the 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 consciousness of children at a much younger age statistics all prove it and I hear it time and time again. We gave a warning, you know, to parents like, "Hey, you might not want your kids to listen in on this because it, it may be content that you may want to kind of distill or, or distribute differently with your children." But let me tell you, I mean, your kids are exposed to it, yeah. And and you have to have the conversation because I have never had the birds and the bees conversation. I don't know if you guys I did. Never did. We either. already covered that. We don't even know what that to mean. what does it even mean, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's important to realize that.
1: So another thing that Paul the Sixth predicted in humanity is that, again, in number 17, that men would lose respect for women and start treating them even more poorly. Mm -hmm. And he says, another effect that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman and disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as his partner whom he should surround with care and affection. Mm That is prophetic because yeah. with with the removal of responsibility and unitive of nature to sex, I, I don't think anyone could um, deny that women are grossly objectified in our culture. And they're treated like a physical thing only for the enjoyment of the eyes. And their entire spiritual and value and worth is reduced just to, you know...
0: I was, I was on vacation recently and, um, we were at a beach and I went into, my wife was looking for a bathing suit. And so we went into these stores that we never go into and, but they were just there. So we're like looking for a bathing suit and there's literally like butt cheeks, right? With. Like examples of how these strings are going to go into your rear, and I'm sitting there going, I'm like, like when I was little. For, were these for you? <laughs> that was in the stand, yeah, that was in Ryan section. All right, man. All right, expect yeah. a jab later yeah. on. <laughs> uh, no, but I was just looking at. It, I'm like, uh, they're like, they're like, like this has becomes just commoditized yeah, now, right. like yeah. to the point where it's like. Okay.
1: Yeah. Men no longer men look at they just want to swipe left, swipe right. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They just want the end of sexual gratification. They don't they will lie. They will do anything they can to get what they want from a woman. And because there is no societal pressure for them to, number one, be married before having sex or when people do have sex to be able to expect um, that a child comes from it it completely ruins the, the natural order of sex and men treat women like crap because of Mm -hmm. it. And women, I mean, out there, you should see that contraception. It was always posed as a liberation to women. It was, it was not a liberation of women. It was a liberation of men's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it has had way more negative impact on women and men are able to just skate through life and do Mm -hmm. whatever they want. And it's, Number one, it it has men are who are used to contraceptive relationships don't treat women
0: seriously anymore. O- overall mm-hmm. culturally, men have lost a sense of responsibility to not not just the, the woman, but also the children that Absolutely. these women bear. So it's it's filtered beyond just that. You know that sense. Uh, it's also you know through the media and the culture and through all these different you know new sexual things that come out. Whatever, you know this fatherless culture that we live in, and, and this goes this goes for you know they had a study for the Boy Scouts that came out that was awful. The the you know the priests, all these different organizations, these sexual scandals, the the, the Hollywood, like you, you name it, right? It's all like kind of coming ashore now, right. where. This fatherless culture and this this deep seated like need that our culture has for men uh, to protect women is is now
2: turned into men like preying on the vulnerable. Absolutely. Right. And that's why I loved Pope Benedict's recent commentary that he gave a, a number of months back as it relates to. The sense of how have we got to this point? Mm. What what has contributed to our sociological structures that so many scandals are happening across the board within the church and outside of the church? And he starts to highlight the sexual the sexual revolution, and and that's an important consideration. But you know, furthermore, we have to look at what we're going to do in response to that. Another prediction that Paul the Sixth made uh, in Humanae Vitae
1: in in relation to uh, contraception is that uh, governments would begin to abuse this power. He said that the, the widespread acceptance of contraception is something that could be weaponized by mm. societies. And you, you don't have to look any further than like China, the one child policy. Now, I know they've restricted that, but as a whole nation, they were able to tell parents you can have one child, one child only. And they were legislating what a man and a woman could do in their own marital bed. I mean, that is. When the power to remove birth from from that relationship happens, fundamentally, someone will abuse that power um, governmentally. And and it happened.
2: So you're right. I mean, that is a very serious thing to consider that government policies and the controls over the family and the generative responsibility that the family has before God can be interfered with. And that is a, a very, very big, big problem that, that we're definitely facing. And that's not just in China. I mean, that's just all example, over the place, right. too. And even, even culturally. So we may not have that set in stone in our country, but look at the two child approach to how it's like, if you have more than two children in your family, you're, a weirdo. you're categorized and you're totally weird yeah. and they feel bad for you. Yeah. So many family friends, you know, friends of mine that have big families, five, seven, 10 kids, they're walking out of Publix or their grocery store like Vons and they're looked at like, you know, they're in a cage in a zoo. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, you, what are you doing? Like, don't you know about, you know, contraception or like, why would you have this many children? They, it's just, they, they look
1: at children not as a oblig- blessing like they've always been understood, but as an absolute curse, a burden to
0: one's own personal desires. You know what I used to say when I get angry? I shouldn't, I did don't say it anymore, but I'm like, well, if I am if I was as ugly as you guys, I wouldn't have more than two kids either. Nah. <laughs> nah. <It's laughs> but so but this was
2: even in Jesus's age too, yeah, because yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we know and we could deduce from Scripture and, and scholars that, you know, when Jesus says, let the children come to me so that I may bless them, that I may lay my hands on them. It, it's also in response to how the kids were then shooed away way when any like serious things were being discussed. Mm-hmm. So Jesus allows the children to come and then shows everybody like, look, <clears throat> these are what comprises the kingdom. Like, unless you become like this child, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a very, very important reality to see that in other generations, in other times, children were mistreated as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and one last thing that um, he
1: predicted is that the sexual revolution and the removal of responsibility and, and the unit of nature of sex would lead to the idea that human beings have unlimited dominion over their own body, mm-hmm. and that um, it would they would lose respect for the natural and um, the, the way the body is meant to be used according to just natural deductive law. And I don't think we, I don't think it's hard to see that people nowadays really do think their body is whatever they want their body to be. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in, in vitro fertilization, which was kind of predicted by this, the whole concept that a person can fundamentally change their body and even the concept of who they are, um, really does stem from this. This um, well, and according to Paul VI, who predicted in the 60s from the idea that the generative nature had been removed from sex
2: Mm -hmm. and how talk about removal too that we would remove god's hands from our species and who we are right you know like that that the concept that this is my body and i could do with it whatever i want to that scares the crap out of me dude that i can treat what god has given me i didn't create this Mm -hmm. i didn't create my body i'm a steward over it and i have to return it right you know, and and that's what that's what frightens me is I know that I haven't treated my body well. No. I know that I've been a poor been, steward. Been putting on the pounds. I've been, on the, I've been putting on the pounds. I've been putting on the pounds. But look what I've done to my knees and my joints and my body. You know, like just just for your like my hair. My hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, <laughs> did you know,
1: did you give like a really bad penance to your barber? Because dude,
2: dude, I think my hair looks fabulous.
0: No, you, you look so great, Patrick. You know, you got to return that. I back. do need to
2: trim my beard back yeah, a little bit and be a better steward <laughs> of my yeah. beard. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting pretty gnarly. That's like, you know, my MPG family out in San Diego when I was really growing out that gnarly beard and, and Robert Burner like father, I was talking with Lisa, we love you. <laughs> we love your beard. Just got to trim the beard, man. <laughs> trim the beard. But no, it's it's a sense of stewardship, right? And it's stewardship in relationship with community. It's stewardship of your body in relationship to your spouse. There's greater responsibility for us, and it's not a flight of responsibility so that we could be happy. No, it's an acceptance of responsibility so that we can truly be free. And in choosing what is good and ordered toward productivity and generativity, fecundity, then we start entering into joy. We start entering into why we are created and that is at the hand of the creator. And that should always keep us humble. But what would a priest know about sex? But what would a priest know about sex? (laughs) Yeah. And, And that's, that's what I wanted to get into as well as it relates to the, the feminine genius and the beauty of how woman's body has been created and, and where the devil can get in the middle of a spousal relationship. And I see it all the time. And why priests can speak to couples, even though they don't have a spouse, is because we speak to and interact with hundreds of thousands of couples and we retain information and experience. So, for example, newly married couple... I'm caring for them. I did their wedding. The wife reaches out to me and she's a very straightforward New Yorker. And she says to me, father, now, if there are kids listening, close yours. But this is exactly what she said. She's like, father, my husband has not looked at me since our child came out of my vagina. My vagina changed. My body changed. And I don't think he loves me anymore. And you could see how porn could enter in. And a lot of other things because of this change. Now, why does a woman's body change? Why does she? Why does she hold weight in different ways? Because it's all in that generative form. The most marvelous of cre- and beautiful creation that God ever did was woman, the pinnacle of all creation, and the the genius of her body is that she stores these cells, these fatty cells, so that they that her body can feed her children right. and care and nurture her whole existence is nurture and feed. Yeah. And but the whole, but the, but
1: the idea that, that it, she's just a, a body, just a, a source of pleasure and not, this is the mother of a child, the mother of my child that, that anybody looks at that and says, man, eh, I'm not attracted anymore. Yeah. That that just shows how sick our culture exactly. is, exactly, and how they view something that is so sacred as the mother of their child
2: as a thing, and it's objectification, it's absolutely, it's objectification, absolutely, objectification, but objectification. But it's a
0: for all men. It's not. I mean, it, and even women men too. All chase all lives. women have sexual temptation too, absolutely. Right. But that's the temptation. Why yeah. is it that? Why is that the temptation? You alluded yeah. to it earlier. It's like it's the best place that the devil could absolutely. be. It's and, right it's, in and it's not to
2: beat down men and no, you know, no, no, how no, horrible no, no. you are. No. Blah blah blah. This is just the tactics of. Yeah. dividing our sexuality mm-hmm. and and it's like that the the battle royale of the sexes you know yeah. the that that sexual battle um yeah. what is it the, it's like they even have games um the battle of the sexes right. or something like that so you know like to to realize that our difference is complementary, right it, it, it's not that our difference puts us at puts us, puts us at contention, odds and you know. contention so you know it, it's important to see that and then once you start for me as a priest once i start working with these couples in different dynamics i'll say okay so how how has this happened how have lives lives lies come into your lives so we'll break it down while well, he comes home from work and then he walks in and he immediately wants to hold the baby. He doesn't want to say hello to me. doesn't give me a kiss. He doesn't give me. A, and then the nonverbal communication is, I, you're, I don't want to be intimate with you anymore. Yeah. I, I don't love you anymore. I don't think you're beautiful anymore. And he's not saying that. But, but just when you work with those dynamics, yeah, you, can, you start working about yeah. and you iron them out.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I think, uh, well, I know that a lot of scholars or people who study sexuality say that one of the most surprising things in the entire Bible is St. Paul's view on sexual relations in a marriage. And in First Corinthians 7, um, St. Paul said something that historians kind of, from the context of the time and even the context of the way throughout even millennia afterwards... Um, That The way that he approached sex is that in Corinthians 7, he says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. And the idea that it was so complimentary that a man owed woman sex, and that the woman had dominion over the man's body was such an alien concept to ancient cultures. And I think even to today that a husband would think I owe my wife her conjugal rights. Men don't think like that, but men think women owe them. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it really has to be reciprocal. Two fleshes become one and they are no longer their own. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, look, men, you owe it to your wife to be physically intimate with her. You owe that to her as part of your marital contract and women owe it back and forth. So it's not, it's, you know, I think a lot of people have the concept that the Bible was sexist and kept women down. But I mean, this is revolutionary for an ancient document saying, man, your body is owned by your woman, and you owe her sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, assume. when
0: they were looked at as property in Absolutely. the secular,
2: um, you know, cultures at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, like I've had several several cases come across my desk, and people that I were able, I was able to care for, where the element of sacrifice that comes in because the husband knows that that the wife is really in need, and he's not been fulfilling that need. Or vice versa, that the element of sacrifice, even if you don't feel like doing XYZ, the objective good of meeting the need of your spouse is met by sacrifice and and giving of yourself you yeah, saint
1: paul then continued on in corinthians and he said something mm-hmm. i think that touches on it. he says do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control mm-hmm. so saint paul was saying look when there is a lack of sex in a marriage um, besides, for agreement for your living in prayer, your chances getting
0: tempted are way well, higher. Your chances, yeah,
1: yeah th- th- that separation between the fleshes is the space that Satan needs to operate. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, so uh, mm-hmm. that that leads to infidelity. That leads to lack of interest. That leads to, and it's not like, well, women and men, women, you owe it to the husbands, and you know, it's really it, they've got to get away from the mindset of sex as a. Um, A tool in a relationship. A tool in a relationship and really as a a fully exploring
2: of of your spouse, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And it also says in the catechism, like a sense of moderation, like, you know, like St. Paul's talking about, you could really see moderation and chastity and the Mm -hmm. discipline of the flesh. So not that, you know, this is, this is giving permission to, you know, your husband to have sex with you. Five times a day and uh, and to, you know, just kind of use you you and be a sex
1: addict. Aquinas said said that lust in marriage is worse than lust out of marriage Mm -hmm. because lust inside of marriage, even lusting after your own wife is worse because that is an offense against the institution that God set up. So lusting after a woman outside of marriage or lusting after a man outside of uh, marriage, if you're a woman, is an offense against yourself and offense against a person. Mm -hmm. But Aquinas said that lust against your own wife, right? And treating her like an object or lust against your husband and treating him like an object in the context of marriage is a sin against God. Mm -hmm. So he said that was a much more by degree,
2: uh, critical sin mm-hmm. and and i could see how perhaps with some of our listeners but even some of our critics would say see there are the church the church there it goes again right. you know giving us all these laws and, and even coming into our bedroom and, and giving us all these stipulations and blah, mm-hmm. blah 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 but the the point of the law is is so that we may love more perfectly. Exactly. The point of the law is that we may enter into greater freedom and intimacy. It it's a guideline and it it shepherds us mm-hmm. in a way. It's not that we're you know and the you church didn't is sinking up. No, like you don't. You've, ma- got,
0: you've got demonstrable evidence here. You know, in in our culture, you know, I mean, I I, I got a lot of friends that are divorced that uh, mm-hmm. look at me like I'm crazy because I've got all these kids, but. And I've got a happy marriage, Mm -hmm. really happy marriage. I mean, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but you know, a lot of these people aren't very happy, yeah. you know, I don't really say that mm-hmm. like that. I don't, you know, accuse them of mm-hmm. it. I, well, certainly when they come at me, I don't like go back at them, but you could, you could see, you know, yeah. you yeah. could see yeah. that. It's true. Yeah, I,
2: I can't, I was I, went, I was, I was with my barber and he's just, <laughs> well,
1: I mean, so you did this, piss him off.
2: Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, my barber's great, man. He, he's a great guy. Does great work. And, and, and he's, you know, <laughs> sometimes. (laughs) this time he really loused it up. Stupid project. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we're sitting there talking and like he's never hung out with anybody Catholic, um, never obviously went to Catholic school or anything like that. And and he finds out that I'm a Catholic priest after, you know, like three times, four times going there. And he's like, so. Father, I got to ask you, man, this whole celibacy thing, man, talk to me about like not being with a woman. That's got to be like crazy, you know? And, and I'm sitting there responding to him and I'm sharing like, you know, the intimacy that I have And somebody, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you, bro. Like, yeah, I, I still struggle. They, you know, day and day out, I'm like, I'm thinking, I will, you know, desire, I'm a man, blah, blah, blah. But I said, you know, it wouldn't take away from the joy of living celibacy with Christ and then giving of myself in that way and the generativity of my life and how I live my life brings me so much joy. I I want to do this day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And and that's my joy. And then he goes on and he says, man, I got to be honest, I'd rather go vegan than virgin. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, big big good. shout out to Fine Grooming Studio yeah. in Arlington. <laughs> great great guys out
1: there. Yeah, and I think anybody who would say that the the Bible or Christianity's uptight about sex only needs to look at the Song of Songs. Yeah. I mean, that is I think the Song of Songs would make any of those books that you see in the grocery stores with What's Fabio. That guy's
0: Fabio. Yeah,
1: yeah, it would make that dude blush because this is Ooh, some like Fabio. this is um It's not explicit. It is some deeply sexual poetry. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, some of the things in there, I mean, I don't even, I mean, it's the Bible and I'm around a Catholic talk show and I'm a little bit even queasy reading because yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm sitting here hoping you go it, read, read some it, of them. Read Like it. chapter five, verse four of the song of songs. I rose to open for my lover, my hands dripping myrrh, my fingers flowing myrrh pan, upon the handles of the lock. Like mm. I, I know what that means.
0: I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm married. I know what that means. I'm not stupid.
1: My lover put his hand through the opening, my innermost being trebled because of of him. Mm. I mean, your breasts are like clusters of vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples. Okay. Uh, Your curving thighs are like jewels, the product of skilled hands. Your valley, (laughs) a round bowl that should never lack mixed wine. Mm. Like, Mm. I mean, this is like, he's writing, he's laying it down. Like, I mean, if you put this
0: behind, like, Fabio's
2: like, he's he's got got a one up, he's been one up. (laughs) (laughs) But to realize that sexual interaction is not something that we should treat puritanically. Not at all. You know, it's something that's sacred. It's yeah. ultimately sacred. And that's why the church prescribes the sacrament of matrimony. Yeah, You know, this promise that you make to one another before God and the witnesses of the church, because you are saying, I will love you. I will honor you. I will be true to you in good times and in bad and sickness and health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. It's that, it's that unconditional contract before God's altar that marriage then reflects the love of Christ to his church and it's something so sacred and it's something that we should feel free to talk about because it is most beautiful and the song of songs right in the middle of the Bible at the very heart of the Bible is all of these sexual illusions of intimacy and conjugal love that's reflected in God's love for us and most perfectly reflected in the sacrament of marriage. Absolutely.
1: Um, but I think the, the one thing that I did want to finish up with is that, you know, again, here, here goes the Catholic church being sicklers, but that's because they care for human souls and they are the shepherds of, of souls is that our lady of Fatima said not, the number one reason people go to hell is for sins of the flesh mm-hmm. in, in her apparition at Fatima. That was the number one reason that she said people are in hell. So I, I, I think. Again, Aren't all
0: sins, sins of the flesh, though. Well, I mean, it's used
1: like, directly talking about sins of a sexual nature. Oh, okay, yeah, right, mm-hmm. and that—that that the idea is really again, like what I what I said earlier, is that Satan is attacking humankind at sexuality, mm-hmm. and if people don't become more aware of it, and they don't read theology of the body, and they don't teach their children the proper um, concepts around how to healthily express sexuality. Uh, people are going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And
0: they're going to ta- take it in. Children are going to take it in from society like we did with MTV. My poor parents had no idea mm-hmm. what was going on on the TV. You know, we were watching it, but mm-hmm. it was... It was right. soft porn and I'm in I'm
2: Yeah, I and, and, that, and that was when the television had 64 channels Yeah. now we've got the internet yeah. and social media uh, platforms s- that far exceed 64 oh, apps yeah. that kids are using on and day-to-day. the content is and unfettered the content, yeah. and exactly like my Hardcore. parents didn't know that I was watching day. Beavis and Butthead or Daytona yeah. Beach Spring Break or yeah. you know all those you know Did you watch that too oh yeah, yeah of course <laughs> I lived right next to Daytona Beach <laughs> I, I, I was down there you know yeah. in, in my teenage years because that's what I thought happened Happiness was. Yeah. That's where I thought my fulfillment was going to yeah. be. And clearly it was it left me broken. Yeah, you too. know, me no judge, no judgment on, on people at yeah. all. But testimonially, yeah, like, me too. it left me broken. And, you, hear, and you hear so many people who say life. that that people who are looking to
1: find their worth, their self-worth through sexual satisfaction or from allowing themselves to be objectified, whether it's a man or a woman who's getting their self-worth from being wanted sexually by other people, they ultimately completely feel empty and they're not getting the fulfillment mm-hmm. they want because that is not that that treats them so less than they are. Like one of the great things John Paul II said about pornography is that the biggest problem about pornography is not that it shows too much of a person, is that it shows too, too little li- of a person. Yeah, right. And that is such a powerful statement that when they're looking at a person completely naked in the most insanely compromised positions that that's showing too little of a person. Mm -hmm. And if people would stop to consider that, and that the real value and the real showing of a person is so much more than their skin and their bones, uh, hopefully they would start having a a healthier view of themselves, happier, less broken, and ultimately be
2: able to have a a healthier sexuality as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. Well, guys, this was a very information-packed, conversation, and we thank all of our viewers for participating on this platform and certainly connecting with us in our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and connecting with us in patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show, because this helps us to be able to produce these shows. And I'm feeling like there probably is an inquisition question. (laughs) So I'm trying to just kind of shift and prepare myself right now for a very challenging one. I think
1: this one is, is, this one's not a, you know, a trick gotcha question. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that a lot of Catholics would like to know is (sighs) NFP. Is NFP just Catholic birth control? Mm -hmm. Is NFP really morally licit, because you are specifically seeking to avoid Pregnancy, even though you're open to pregnancy if it happens. What's mm-hmm. NFP? Natural,
2: natural family, family planning. planning, and there's okay. different methods right. of. Um, <laughs> is it like using <laughs> natural? <laughs> hey, boy, the guy who uh, has six kids. What's NFP? NFP. <laughs> <laughs> so is it? Exactly. Is it
0: like using natural?
2: No, it's
1: it's using uh, herbs or something. No, it's using timing, basically.
2: A the natural frontal. ovulation, yeah. the you natural gotcha. ovulation cycle of a woman. And what I love about NFP with a couple, you know, it's not just the woman minding her own body. Right. Or learning about her own body. No, it's about the intimacy of of the relationship between man and woman so yeah. that in this cycle, they know when they are peaking and will ultimately could get pregnant. Could get pregnant. They, they could conceive. Now, I've read stats that couples that do do NFP
1: actually have more sex within their marriage Mm -hmm. than those who don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But is it, again, is it avoiding the responsibility of pregnancy?
2: And before I answer that question directly, I also want to say the good that comes out of studying that and then for husbands to know their wives in that capacity that you want to know just because you want to journey through that experience together. And then on top of that, the greatest fruit of it is discipline that produces moderation that the catechism of the Catholic Church really articulates for marriages to exercise is that moderation. And then ultimately the prudent decision of having children at prudent times so that the children are nurtured properly, that you are prepared to meet this responsibility and gift and to do so with great efficacy. However, when it comes to can NFP be used as a contraceptive? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And I, I meet couples where they are. It's never like, hey, you're doing, you're, you're a bad person. You're a bad Catholic because you're not having. No, there's a lot of fears. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of struggles. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of things out there that are holding couples back from having children. You know, cultural philosophy. Oh, yeah. and, and there's stuff that we were talking about here that holds couples back from having children. I meet them where they are. We should meet them where they are and walk with them slowly to begin to understand and conceive that this gift of a child will not only enhance your intimacy and your love for one another, it's going to expediate, you know, expediently move your life into a greater state of being and becoming. And, and where God is trying to bring you, it's through that generativity. Each and every time I look at my celibacy and I see Christ on the cross, for years, I thought, man, you know, it's his sacrifice, and I'm the minister of his sacrifice. I realized just recently, like, no, like, I'm offering my body. I'm offering my blood. Mm. I'm doing this in memory of him and what he did in his celibacy. Now, the intimacy of what I'm doing with him in relationship to his bride is something altogether even more powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's the vocation, marriage and, and celibacy, the celibate being of a man or woman that chooses this life you know, so they go hand in hand and complement each other.
1: Now, just that, like but husband that's and not wife. to say that NFP is always contraceptive in nature. But people
2: can't abuse it. Can it can be abused, right. without a doubt. And, and but it
1: also can be listened. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So I think even Pope Francis touched on this. It,
2: am I abusing it? If you, personally? Yeah. You're fine. You're dude, fine, you're fine, buddy. Dude. Yeah, you're right, good. Yeah, you're fine. I truly believe you're fine, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, Pope Francis even said people don't need to breed like rabbits, and that, that caused a whole firestorm. Yeah,
2: yeah, there was a lot of ruffled feathers after that one. You know, but
1: he's so... Uh, Pastorally he, quaint at times, yeah, that yeah. he talks very familiar, and people just lose their ever loving mind over it.
2: And, and for me, like I'm not puritanical at all. Like I, I look at things just but sort of not in like I'm me. Up, yeah, like I just it, it's life, man, and I appreciate that type of a delivery. Yeah, but I think he was speaking to the wisdom of understanding
1: realities of your family yeah. and using NFP at times to make sure that you are bringing children in at the right point, but that you. But the deeper point is that you always are open to the fact that a sexual union will bring about yeah. a child. Yeah.
2: yeah. So as long as you're not in direct um, denial of that. And just since we're talking about it, too, uh, you know, the, the, the tubes tied, vasectomy, you know, all that stuff is not supported by the church because obviously that severely manipulates Absolutely. the, the f- openness factor. It's funny how they say that that's fixing when it's, really <laughs> it's breaking. That's Absolutely. so true. That's so yeah. true. Well, awesome. Guys, another great episode. And we're glad that you guys are joining us as always. Continue to connect to us online and we will see you next week. God bless. God bless.